recording from home again. I love these episodes. You guys love them. Thank you, uh, Sir Emperor Brian Pallister, for the uh, in your infinite wisdom for opening up uh, movie theaters and bars and restaurants uh, during COVID while we had surging cases. Thank you. Uh, that's a tip of the hat to you. Thank you. We're now in code level midnight lockdown. Um, so I can't see Matthew. He can't see me. Kind Look, of awesome. You have to understand, Lucas, you know, we have lockdown, but we need to take a break. So Pallister, he gave us a few months break to, you know, mingle, have fun, go to the bar, give each other COVID. And then now we're back to brass tacks. We're back to work. Everybody stay home again. This is the new normal. So everybody get used to it uh, for the foreseeable future. It's chill. I, I would say it's pretty chill. Um, you know, the best thing about recording from home is that, you know, the audience is getting like the same experience that we're getting, which is sitting at home on the computer, hearing each other, right? So it's, you know, in a sense, it's more authentic. All right, we got two, we got one talking point done, you know, it's topical COVID. Let's just get it out of the way now. The election, um, yeah, Trump won by a big, by a big, bigly. Uh, he won by a big shot. Didn't, didn't we, did, was it last uh, week the election special? Was it? Uh, I don't remember. You know what? Did he say Trump won bigly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Trump won bigly. I don't know if you saw, but um, Trump's motorcade was like going down a street, and they specifically chose the route where there were people who were going like, yeah, like Trump, don't give up. It's It's... It's still your race to win. It's anybody's game, man. Don't, don't, don't let that voter fraud fuck you over, man. That's crazy. The the cope is incredible. Incredible. And, like, Trump is calling Fox fake news now because they, you know, said he lost or whatever. Uh, oh, well, that's not really surprising. I mean, like, Fox, even you know, Fox News, I mean... Say what you will about their reputability as a media, you know, corporation. But, I mean, they're not going to say that, like, the guy who didn't win won. I like to think, anyway. Yeah. So, you know, a tip of the hat to... I want to give a tip of the hat to Fox News from Cult of Personality. Uh, thank you for upholding democracy. Um, and we appreciate you. You can't cuck the tuck. You can't cuck the tuck. Um, and, you know, a lot of... You know, a lot of our work here is inspired by, um, you know, what's that guy's name? Bill O'Reilly, you know, because, and we don't do it live, but I mean, we'd like to. I Yeah, I wonder if there's a way, one day maybe we'll do a Joe Rogan, we'll get the cameras out, we'll get a YouTube live stream going with two viewers, my girlfriend and maybe your mom, and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll be awesome. I thought Joe Rogan doesn't do it live anymore. Does he not? I don't know. I don't really watch Joe Rogan. I just Me neither. I, I just watch clips and then I hear news from other people. But, uh, I mean, speaking of Joe Rogan, what are we talking about today? Joe Rogan, yeah. Uh, we're, ta- we're talking about a movie that's pretty dynamite. <laughs> uh, it's, oh my god. Pretty Napoleon. <laughs> Oh yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yep. Yeah, let's get it. Oh yeah.
Yeah, no. we're talking about Napoleon. What? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. I, I didn't have anything to say. This is the one problem. I This is the actual problem I have with recording is that you cannot read the body language. So the speaking, we get we interrupt each other sometimes. Bear with us, guys. I'll probably do it the most. You go so ahead. You go, no, ahead. You go ahead. I didn't. I, I don't have anything to say. You go ahead. You go you first. You go ahead. I'll go first. Let's talk. We're talking about Napoleon Dynamite, two thousand four MTV. Film. It's fine. You go ahead. You go ahead. Is it my turn or? Yeah, it's your turn. So I can go ahead right now. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite, uh, 2004 cult film. It's an MTV film, as all good films are. It's the only MTV film I can think of. I Give me a second. I think the Beavis and Butthead movie is an MTV film. That's an MTV film, too. Oh, yeah, probably. The MTV film, you know, it's, it's in the same vein as the Nickelodeon film, where, you know, and that is to say the Nickelodeon theatrical productions. Like the Fairly Odd Parents movie? No, like that is that's like a Nickelodeon TV movie. Okay. I'm talking about like a SpongeBob SquarePants movie type of situation, or like the the one where he's looking for Gary. No, that, <laughs> no. I mean, I guess yeah, but that one sucks. Okay, <laughs> we reviewed that on the show. I think that is like a two bag movie, maybe less. <laughs> That movie was, it had some cool songs in it, but you know what, that one movie was a mistake. And it it only exists to show that new cartoon they have coming up on Nickelodeon. <laughs> that apparently, I read somewhere that Steven Hillenburg said he was okay with that, but they probably asked him when he was like dying of cancer on his deathbed, so it's whatever. Or he wasn't dying, he died, he died of uh, ALS, pardon, whatever. Regardless, we're talking about Napoleon Dynamite. Um, what's the movie about? You tell him, Lucas. Not a lot, I guess. It's one of it's those ba- movies. It's basically what I imagine. It's set in what I imagine, you know, like Ohio or fucking Utah or Wisconsin looks like. That's what I just imagine those states to look like. It's the most rural, bumfuck, nowhere place. And it's about this little dweeb named Napoleon Dynamite. He's got beautiful locks, and he's he's uh, he's the peon kid. He's a little weird. Uh, I don't really know, you know, what his dealio is, but he he's a little weird. And the movie, I can't even say it's like a coming of age or anything. It's just a comedy movie. Um, basically, it's just about his life in high school. I guess you could say. Um, there's a bit of a love interest. There's uh, you know, his buddy, maybe it's a buddy cop. You could call this movie a buddy cop, maybe. Um, the classic and... buddy, the buddy cop movie, <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. That's basically the gist of it. Is there a plot of this movie? Not really. I mean, the first half, I guess, is about him trying to get a dance, and then the second half is trying to get his buddy to be uh, mayor of the school, school president. Uh, but... <laughs> mayor of the school <laughs> that's about it you know i'll say this about napoleon dynamite um and just one thing just quick thing before we get, really get into it um they have the school dance in the middle of the movie whenever i think of the movie i think like the dance is at the end but it's not well you know what it's well it's funny because i saw this movie um i was saying this to lucas earlier i saw this movie in school i think it was like eight or nine at the most 
Um, I didn't like it. I was like, this movie's boring and it's stupid and it looks boring. There's nothing cool in it. It's just mm-hmm. this dumb guy being dumb. I didn't get it. I didn't like it. This is my second time viewing it. I like it a hell of a lot more. I think this is a movie that you have to watch when you're not nine. Um, but I also thought the dance was at the end. But see, I I suppose the reason I thought that was just because all high school movies have the dance at the end. You know, Back to the Future does that. I can't think of any other movies off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, they had the big dance scene. Oh, I get the girl. The girl comes out. Oh, she takes her glasses and the ponytail off and blah, blah. They do right by having it in the middle of the movie because the dance is such a boring setting to have it, unless it's Back to the Future. They did that right. But it's almost like this movie is, I guess you could say this movie is kind of like a subversion of the teen comedy because it's, it's extremely dry, I guess, in comparison to other teen movies where, you know, it's usually pretty raunchy and you get a lot of sex jokes and caca poo poo, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> But this one, you know, as as you were saying before, this movie is so goddamn dry. Yeah. It's all dry humor, basically. The whole movie is just Napoleon and his the people around him, this cast of characters. I suppose you could say the plot of the movie, if we just wanted to give a basic outline, is Napoleon lives with his grandma and his 32-year-old brother Kip, who spends all day on chat rooms talking to babes. And hey, babe. Well, he he says babes, and then he and then you know he gets pretty serious with uh, yeah with La Fonda. <laughs> Let's just stop right here. I love Kip in this movie. He's so good. He's so good. He's my he's maybe my favorite character in this film. First of all, his mannerisms and like his his tone of speaking is hilarious. It's it's what you would imagine a guy who's been uh in who's been sitting in his living room on the internet for like 22 years would be acting like uh he's a complete doofus he says he wants to be a cage fighter um <laughs> they go to and he's skinny one... as fuck he's, he's so skinny he's so small he's supposed to be 32 but uh, i mean like i guess he looks 32 but he has like the physique of like a ninth grader which is funny um i love the scene by the way in which they go to um the dojo and by the way, I don't know if you noticed, that is Diedrich Baker as Rex, the guy in the America pants. Uh, he was in another classic re-reviewed. He was Lawrence in Office Space. Remember who was who? Guy? Remember Lawrence, the neighbor? Oh, <laughs> shit. I, when we watched it, I said, I know this guy from somewhere. Yeah, he's uh, he's Lawrence. And that was like, I think Office Space was like his breakout role. So, And then he got cast in this. Uh, also, he also is the voice of Batman in Batman the Brave and the Bold, which is a great cartoon that I like. But yeah, DJ really? Ba- yeah, he is. If you've ever seen that, I'm sure most people like our age have seen that because it came out in like 2008. But yeah, he's the voice of Batman. He is a good Batman voice too. Huh. But uh, they have a. <laughs> there's a great scene there. DJ Baker's in the scene movie for two scenes, or I suppose he's so three. good. And I suppose three because he's in like a commercial that they see, and you know the commercial. <laughs> I I love to watch. I love that commercial just because in a film that's very dry, it's like one of the more explicit, like goofy comedy moments. I guess you mm-hmm. could say. Um, it's done. It's all done really well. But I didn't even get like we're talking of- about. He's like, you'll get the the strength of a bear and the wisdom of a man. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then in the commercial, he like slaps a gun out of the guy's hand and he puts <laughs> him in like a chokehold. It's all quality stuff. But I guess I didn't finish with the synopsis. So um, his grandma goes dune riding and breaks her coccyx. Um, and in moves in his Uncle Rico, who's basically... Matthew Watterson. Mc- He's Matthew McConaughey's character in Days and Confused 20 yeah. years later. 20, 30 years later. Um, he's just a washed up old guy. Well, like middle-aged guy. Um, and he wishes he could go back and win the state championship. <laughs> Him and Kip even buy a time machine on the internet to try to go back to 1982 so he can win the championship. But he lives in a van, he eats a lot of food, and he's just basically there to take care of Napoleon and Kip. Uh, But Napoleon hates him, and we'll talk a little bit about the events that unfold later. But that's like the gist of it. And then, you know, there's some more characters in the film. Do you want to just go over the characters in the movie? Sure. There's uh, Deb, who's, you know, Napoleon's will-they-won't-they they little fling. There's Pedro. Vote for Pedro. Yeah, he's like the new kid. It seems like if there's a dance, I don't know much about dances, because we don't really have that same sort of school culture here in Canada that they do in the States. Like, we don't have proms or anything like that. But I always felt like proms are at the end of the year, um, so it seemed weird that he was the new kid near the end of the year, but whatever. Um, he's a he's a Mexican kid. Um, there's Kip, like you said, um, the grandma, the uncle, La Fonda, I guess. Um, that's pretty much it. There's a lot of side characters in the movie, though, like Chad Thundercock, the school bully. Oh, what's his name? Don, I think. Something like that. He looks like he's 40 years old. It's it's I love I love the approach they took with like the the Chad character and I suppose the Stacy character in this film. Yeah. Because one thing about this film is that in high school films everything is so glamorized, right? Like the pretty girl there's always that scene where she walks in and her hair is flowing and it's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. Um and it's and it's somewhat unrealistic but Honestly, as dry as this film is, this is like a pretty honest depiction of the high school experience. Yeah. Uh, and that it's just kind of awkward adolescents like shambling from one thing to another. Um, some of them are weirder than others, but it's all not really a smooth experience. Specifically with Dawn, and then there's this girl, Summer Wheatley, who's also running for president, um, mm-hmm. and she's contesting Pedro. They have like no personality whatsoever. They're just there. Um, they're just blonde, good-looking people, um, and they don't really have any like explicit scenes. Oh, well, they have that scene in the beginning where Don like is putting Napoleon in a headlock. But besides that, like Don is not like tormenting Napoleon. Like you know, like Don is not the bane of Napoleon's existence. He's just a guy who's just kind of like your dork. He mm-hmm. walks around. They're not really substantial characters in the film as well, and they're not much of a focus. It's kind of interesting in that way, in that it's like the film is kind of seen, I think, in like the perspective of Napoleon. And that's why everything, I think, and that's why this movie is kind of quirky and weird. Not not quite like Wes Anderson type of quirky in like an artsy way. It's It's, like we said, quirky in a very frank and dry way. The movie, I think, though really gets a lot of its charm from this. There's so many great one-liners in this movie. 
Yep. Um, one-liners that just don't make sense or just, you know, in like a traditional film, that wouldn't make sense. There's so many to rattle off. There's, I, I, like, for example, I like when Napoleon first meets Deb. And Deb sells these charm bracelets to raise money for college. And she also takes glamour shots. And she says to Napoleon, I'm trying to raise money for college. And then Kip from inside the house says, your mom goes, <laughs> your mom to, college. goes to college. <laughs> and, then he just, and then he just chuckles to himself and he keeps watching TV. And he's like, what? What is going on? There's so many like hilarious lines like that. When Napoleon and the next day encounters Deb in the cafeteria, he says, oh, I see you're drinking 1% milk. Is it because you think you're fat? <laughs> well, just so you know, you could be drinking whole milk because you're not fat. And, like, just stuff like that. It's just... This time in cinema history, I guess, which is, like, mid to early 2000s, there were a lot of these, like, quirky films. Mm-hmm. There was all the Wes Anderson stuff. I guess you could say, like, Lost in Translation kind of falls into that. Quirky sort of romantic stuff. A Punch Drunk Love, Paul Thomas Anderson films, that kind of stuff falls in the same realm but the movie is and whilst i could see how some people could see it as like excessively strange or like a little bit trying to hard quote unquote i thought every beat and every joke in this movie seriously for me landed um this to me is a very seamless movie experience and it's so easy to watch in the sense that that i think the pacing is really good and i also think that there isn't really any moment in the film that for me is like a weak point that I can point to. So as weird as it is that it has like no real narrative, uh, it's a well done narrative. Yeah. that I mean, the movie also looks really good. Like every house that they go into, everybody's costume, I guess you could call it. It all just looks so rural. Like it, and even like the sh- the color palette of the movie it just i don't know it it looks so dry and just so country i i i can't put my finger on it it just looks really good um and there's so many weird instances and jokes like where napoleon's going to the prom and he's uh, he's getting late his uncle's supposed to give him a ride and then he's he's doing who knows what cuz the uncle's big business ideas he's gonna sell tupperware and he's selling it to this old lady and he goes into the house and napoleon goes and knocks on the door and they don't come to the door so who knows what the heck they're doing and he's late to the dance so he just starts running and then like pedro's cousins just pull up in their uh, their old pimped out car <laughs> then just picks him up and drives him to pick up his date and he goes to the door and the dad's there and he's like uh what's that he's like that's uh, that's my ride <laughs> and then they're they're doing their like classic what is it the suspension where the car's like just going up and down the hydraulics yeah. hydraulics yeah yeah i don't know it's just so funny just one of the great things about this movie is is i think this is a great script truly um mm-hmm. this this movie is kind of deceptive in the sense that it's one of those movies where you think they don't necessarily like work too hard on symbolism or like intricate dialogue but i think this is a movie that has layers one of like just the little thorough like things that runs through the film that i like is napoleon playing tetherball by himself (laughs) and you know every gym class everyone's doing whatever and napoleon's playing tetherball by himself you're trying to do cool tricks impress the girls never works at one point 
he asks Summer, and she says, not a chance in hell. <laughs> and that little, like, not even plot line, it's just like a little through line through the film. It even, even that has a satisfying conclusion. When spoilers at the end of the film, he does sort of get the girl. And Dev comes to join him and says, you know, you did really good at Pedro's dance. And he says, you want to play some tetherball? And she says, okay. Then they play the worst game of tetherball I've ever seen. Yeah, just Dev, so slow. Dev doesn't, I don't think Dev knew how to play the game because she keeps grabbing the ball and then throwing <laughs> it, which you're not allowed to do in tetherball. Tetherball yeah. is no joke, by the way. Okay, take that shit seriously. We used to play hella tetherball in my school. We used to play tetherball too, except like, I don't know about you, but like the gym, the teachers would like limit us because they would take the, they would take the chain and the ball off whenever they wanted to. Sometimes we had to like beg the janitor to put it on. Sometimes he would just say no. I don't know if that was just me. That was just you. That was just me. Okay. Well, you know, tetherball because of that was a luxury. So I relish (laughs) a good game of tetherball. Okay. (laughs) It's, it's something to be enjoyed. But this, I think, there's just, there's so many imperceptible qualities about this film. They're just stuff that's hard to define, you know? It's, I mean, on the surface level, it's just a quirky film with strange dialogue, weird characters, and, you know, some good jokes in there. But this movie accomplishes them so well for me, and everything hits so well. And I think partly, I was, to be honest, I was expecting to not like this movie, I didn't like it when I was nine. Yeah, I know, because we saw it showing at the theater nearby, and I was like, hey, let's go see it, and you're like, no. And I was you don't like, see why? That. You know what, and you know what, as we all know, you know, when from the time you're nine to when you're a grown adult, your taste in movies doesn't really change, right? Yeah. It kind of stays the same. So I figured, you know, this going to see that movie, it's just a waste of time. But I have to say, I, I was proven wrong. I went into this movie with low expectations, and it blew them away for me. This movie... I was gonna. Oh, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, you. Go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, please. No, 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 please, please. It's I've been talking enough. You go ahead. I need to drink some water. This is based off of the director's uh, film school little short film that he made. And have you ever seen it? I have not. Um, I'm sure. And I was looking this up because I enjoyed this film so much. I was looking into like the Blu-ray. There's a 10th anniversary Blu-ray, and I think that little short is included in it. Oh, I, I've seen it. I, I was going to talk about it, but never mind. Well tell, well, tell us about it. It's it's basically the same thing, I suppose. Yeah, it has like Napoleon. Um, it's in black and white. I whatever. Uh, I it's been a while, so I haven't. I don't remember everything about it. I think that suit gag is maybe in it I, I honestly forget it's really short we can watch it after the show i'll send you a link i love I, I love the scene where he's he gets the suit and he's walking down i almost wish in that scene they just did a straight saturday night fever homage <laughs> and they had and and you know what the thing is they probably couldn't afford staying alive because i was looking into the production of this film this was a this was a pretty small budget they well, afforded a White Stripes song, so well, I, I don't... Hey, you know what? White Stripes, they're, they're no Bee Gees, okay? Less, less... You know, and, and White Stripes in 2004, like, that would be, like, just when they're getting popular. So veto Whatever. that. You know what? Um, what was I going to say? Um, shit, I forgot. Also, I got to say, killer um, title crawl or whatever you want to, title sequence, cast sequence, I don't know if you want to call it, but uh, 
great little intro credits. Yeah, it's uh, that's great. Um, this thing and okay, I want to talk about sequence and I want to talk about this weird theme that the film has. Sure. The title, the title sequence is great. It's just all the titles done in place of food. Mm-hmm. Um, on various table dressings, and it's just hands placing the food, and then you know, there'll be like a box of, of lemon candy. I don't even know what that's called, but it'll just have all the credits on there. There'll be a piece of chapstick, and it has the production di- designer on there. So that's one of those. It's one of those type of title sequence which we've seen in films before, and which it's like kind of interactive or part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Fun fact about that: what I was doing some reading. Um, that was initially all John Heater, who plays Napoleon Dynamite, his hands doing that. And I, then, I figured. However, no, well, here's the thing is that, and this is funny, they sent that off to the studio, and the studio said, that's a great idea. The title sequence is great. Um, but they were, then once late, this exec was like, John Heater's hands look really gross. We're going to fly in a hand model, and he's going to do <sighs> some of them. This actually happened. So they flew in a hand model. So some of the so it's supposed to be all Napoleon, but you can tell that some of the hands are different um, because they made them fly in a hand model because they thought John Heater's hands were too gross. I think he had hangnails or something. They do um, that all the time. Like they did that for like that famous shot of you know Princess Leia putting the memory drive into R two. That's just a hand model. The hand model. Why? Yeah. I don't know. Who, who is the lady? Uh, the lady who plays the devil in the cantina. Uh, maybe Paula McCartney, maybe, is her name? The, the the devil in the cantina seems a lady? Yeah. Damn. The more you well, know. The character's male, I'm pretty sure, but the the actress behind the mask is a woman, yeah. I see. Um, that's, that's so weird. Like, were Carrie's Fisher hands too dirty? Like, her hands weren't pretty enough? What's the problem? I don't know. Should have got her for... Should have got that hand model for Coke Nail in Return of the Jedi. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. Well, actually, that was probably why. Because she, <laughs> she probably had the Coke Nail. I don't know if she did Coke after Star Wars or before. She said that she's never done Coke, so I don't know. Did she actually say that? Yeah. Well, that's that's a hell of a laugh. Okay, well, I, I didn't, that's just hilarious to me. That's that's like saying uh, Elvis Elvis Presley never over ate before. Like, you know, I don't know what to say to that. But I remember what I was gonna say. I was gonna talk about the budget of this film because the budget mm-hmm. of this film is four hundred mil. No, four hundred, four hundred k. Wow, they're <laughs> dumping stacks on this sucker. This, this is a huge. This is the biggest production <laughs> of all time. Four hundred thousand. Um, the movie blew up. Forty six million. I think it made at the box office. Let me just check mm-hmm. that right away. Yeah, forty six point one million. Initially, John Heater actually got paid $1,000 for this role, but he successfully renegotiated to get more after it was a runaway success. Um, But I was going to say something about the budget. That Um, is a tiny, like, that's a small paycheck even for the initial budget, though. I know. I mean, the thing with this movie is that, like, besides Diedrich Bader, he's, like, the only star, really. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I was was looking this up. I think... um, uh, the girl who plays Summer is actually the older sister of Hilary Duff. She looks like her. Okay. She does look like her. She is the older sister of Hilary Duff. And she was in Lizzie McGuire, if you've ever seen Lizzie McGuire. I'm guessing I used to watch hella Lizzie McGuire. Yeah. She, well, she she doesn't play 
like Hillary Duff's sister, I think, in that, which is weird. But anyway, um, this movie, uh, it well, just like another little small tidbit. This the budget was super small. The town that they resided in, this town in Idaho, they actually asked like the residents to help them like for free. And they actually oh that Romero uh... those Romero bucks but you know what it's this is it was a day. I excuse this because they said okay <laughs> and they didn't it like they were upfront they were like we don't have much money can you like feed and house some of the actors for us while we make this movie and they said okay damn I mean it's probably like the most exposure that town ever got and I'm sure now they're famous for it I think it's Preston Ohio Idaho is the town I need to double check that actually. Hmm. Um, but it it was just interesting now looking into the production of this film because, of course, this is you can probably guess it's one of those films where they send it to a bunch of producers and studio execs and they were like this movie's stupid or yep. the main character sucks and we're not picking this up. Um, so the fact that this movie got made and that it made like a hundred times its budget, I think it definitely earned its cult following or its runaway success. I would say so. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Wh- what else I was talking about? That was the one thing that's really funny, or like a subversion in the movie, is Kip's relationship with Lafonda. Because anyone watching the movie is just gonna think like, "Oh, he's getting catfished." Yeah. Because he's talking to um, what's the uncle's name? Uncle Rico. Rico, right? They're out for lunch, and he's like, "Well, Kip asked him about." his wife and he's like oh we have to get divorced and he's like why he's like oh she thinks i'm living in the past (laughs) thinks i'm living too much in 82 and it's so funny that that kind of sets up a little joke later on where when they get the uh time machine it says like select the year you want to go back to and it was 1982 um i love the time machine theme oh sorry damn it sorry go ahead I was just gonna interject quickly. I love that time machine scene because he puts the shit on his head, and then he puts this like weird t- metal T thing in between his legs, and <laughs> the scene is so fucking funny. I was actually laughing hard at the scene because Kip turns the machine on, and Napoleon. <laughs> First of all, Napoleon in this movie he always has his mouth open. He's like an actual mouth breather, and I love that detail. Um, and then when he turns the machine on, it's like shocking him, I think. And yeah. It's like, oh, kill the power. <laughs> and then you look, and then it's go, the camera pans to Kip, and he just gives a little smirk, and then he <laughs> lets it keep going. And I was fucking crying when that happened. Uh, and then he turns it off, and he's like, God, it doesn't work. And then Uncle Rico comes out of the back room holding his toe, and he's like, Oh, I could have told you that. Uh, that's just like a, that's a great example of physical and, and like that's just a great scene that has like physical acting, it's got good uh, or physical comedy, good acting, and like just good writing. The point dynamite is full of those kind of moments, um, and it's just hard to go over them all. But there's the humor in this film is I, I don't know I I really I really really like it. Um yeah, and then going back to it, uh, he. Then Uncle Rico says, "Like, oh, what does what? What's your girlfriend like?" And Kip's like, "Oh, she has blonde hair, and uh, yeah, she hasn't sent me a full body pic yet." And then everyone's thinking, "Like, okay, he's getting catfish." And then the payoff is that it's just this huge, beautiful woman, and she's just so into it. 
yeah, and it, gives him this huge expensive necklace and all this stuff. That okay, that whole plot line is hilarious because it's this lady, it's this black woman named LaFonda from Detroit, and yeah, you think she's fake, and like that scene where the bus is like everyone's <laughs> coming out of the bus and keep us waiting. You're expecting like I don't know, like some five hundred pound like sixty year old woman to come out and keep us <laughs> like what? But no, it's just LaFonda comes out. <laughs> they absolutely love each other. Their humor, their romance is so... It's like, it's it's peak cringe comedy. Yeah. They're just giving each other eyes. Like, Kip takes a sandal off and, like, strokes her toe with his. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's so gross. And the funniest thing, and it's such an easy joke to make, but they do it so well is that, like, throughout the film, she's, like, turning him into a gangster. Yeah. And then, like, one day, Napoleon comes home, and he's like, who the hell are you? And LaFonda's waiting there. <laughs> and then Kip comes out. He's wearing a fucking do-rag. Yeah. the baggiest clothes possible. Uh, and he, he took his glasses off. He's wearing a big gold chain. And he says something important. And then he's like, peace out. And he walks <laughs> away. Um, and then, at that point, LaFonda gives him... And I thought that was I. I also thought this was hilarious. She's like, my cousin made this, and she throws him a mixtape. Yeah, I thought that was the funny shit ever too. Um, but that whole uh, through line is funny. Um, at the end they get. I, did you watch the end credit scene by the way? No. You didn't watch the post credit scene. I I might have. I probably have in my lifetime because I've seen this movie so much many times. What is it? The post credit scene is just a marriage. I can't remember watching that actually. Damn. Uh, there's a post credit scene, and it's weirdly long. Actually, it's like three or four minutes. Um, okay, and- don't spoil it. I'll watch it after the show. Well, how we're supposed to talk about it right now? Okay, fine. Talk about it right now. I'll plug my ears. Are you gonna plug your ears? Yeah. No, you know what? We're not gonna talk about it. We're not gonna talk about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. No, you go ahead. No, I changed my mind. Okay. Um, quick thing I want to talk about. Soundtrack in this movie is great. Um, yep, killer. There's this one with, like, 70s jangly porn theme that they play sometimes all the time. I absolutely love that song. I don't know what it's called. There's also a lot of licensed music in this. And the dancing, mm-hmm. they only play... They play, like, the classic 80s feelsy songs. Who's Do you want to live forever? They play Forever, forever. Young. What's that? Mm-hmm. They play time after time. Um, yep. Which and and then of course there's the climactic dance scene, which you know it's probably the most iconic part of the movie besides just like the vote for Pedro stuff and easily. Napoleon and Pedro. Let's talk about it. Napoleon and Pedro, and this is like basically the climax of the film. They're at a rally, you know. It's time for Summer and Pedro to make their speeches to sway the audience or their classmates to vote for them. And they find out at they get after they get there that they have to do a skit. Now, Summer and her stupid friends, they do some dumbass Backstreet boy <laughs> shit, and they're just, like, waving their hands around. It's like, it's like a crappy version of... It reminded me of, like, the wor- like a really, really bad version of the Santa dancing in Mean Girls. Okay. Um, well, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. It's just like a... Re- it's like, <laughs> like, that one... Like, part of the joke, I feel, of that Mean Girls one is that it's so extravagant and elaborate, but then this one is just, like, it's terrible. They're wearing cheap costumes. <laughs> they leave. Everyone applauds. Pedro, he gives, like, the <laughs> half-hearted speech. You can't even tell it's half-hearted because Pedro talks like that all the time. 
So then he leaves, uh, and Napoleon looks at the mixtape that he got from LaFond, and he pops, and he gives that to the DJ. And he gets on stage, and I guess we didn't even talk about the prelude to that. He went to the thrift store um, to buy whatever Napoleon usually buys at the thrift store. And bow staffs. Bow staffs. He picks up like a sigh um, <laughs> and puts it in like his belt buckles, the funny shit. Um, and he just finds this like dance tape called the what is it like the Quand dance moves? Just this tape of dancing. Um, and then you see a couple scenes later on in the film where he's practicing his dance moves. Then boom, we get this climactic scene. He, this dude tears up the fucking floor. <laughs> I've never seen moves like this. First of all. Another fun fact, this was all improvised. That is not Was choreograph- it? That was not the only choreographed portion of that is the beginning where he's just like swaying side to side. <laughs> like you know, where he just kinda Yeah. He's got his hands in his pockets. That is all improvised. They did that scene specifically because they knew John Heater could dance. Shit. And, and all that is improvised. I think they cut together a bunch of different takes, but that's all improvised dancing. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> it it's scored to canned heat by Jamiro Kwai. Um, and I just I absolutely loved that scene. I was ec- I was ecstatic watching it. His dance moves are actually good though. Yeah, like, they're actually really good. Like he's a really good dancer. Um, and that's the classics. And I guess this is like the classic scene in the teen comedy where the underdog beats the odds, and then everybody claps, and they give him a standing ovation. And then Summer and Dawn are in the seats, like, oh my god, I can't believe it. Like, he's just a loser. How could we have lost? Oh my god. Spoiler alert, not what happens in real life. We tried to do this in high school, didn't go well. We tried to do this in high school, didn't go well, but I will say that we were deplatformed. Okay? We did... I, you know that's a story for another day because I'm gonna get a, I'm gonna get too upset talking about this. But we tried this in high school, like basically the exact same thing. This shit doesn't work. The the bad guys win at the end. Okay, I'm sorry to say, but when you're watching that scene, you believe for a minute that people like Napoleon can overcome the odds and win the heart of an entire high school. And that's the power of cinema. The one scene that struck so close to home for me was the scene where Napoleon's like, all right, I'm going to try making some money. So he went to these two old fucks who own this chicken farm. And they're like, we need you to do whatever with the chickens. And he works for seemingly hours. And then at the end, they're like, oh, we forgot our, you know, our pocketbooks, but we'll just pay you in change. Is that okay? And then he, they pay him like fucking $6. And go ahead. No, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) No, you go ahead. Get there. Get there. And I I tried doing this one time. I was like, I need when I was younger. I'm like, I want to try making some money. It was autumn. I was like, I'm going to rake just, you know, the leaves around my neighborhood. And I went to this one guy and he had a pretty big yard. And I was like, oh, can I rake the leaves in your yard? He's like, yeah, sure. You know, those big, hard paper bags that you fill up with leaves. Mm-hmm. I filled up about seven of those uh, full of leaves, packed of leaves, and he paid me, I think, like $15. And how I was many, like, dude, how, what the fuck? How many hours did it take you, though? So many. So many hours. You know, I, did, I did it over like two or three days, I think, because his yard was just caked in leaves. And then he saw me again, and he's like, hey, would you mind, like 
doing some yard work for me? I said, nope. Or I said, like, no, I, no I'm not doing that. You know what? Uh, what I found, and I didn't have, like, too many experiences. I think, like, one time I asked to shovel the neighbor's driveway and they gave me, like, 10 bucks or something, which is whatever. That's pretty reasonable. Um, underage labor does not pay. If you don't have the government watching over these people back, they will shaft you, okay? Yeah. If you're an underage kid, if you're under 15 and you need to make some money, I don't know, go sell drugs or something. Like, it's it's not, don't rake the lawn. That scene is hilarious because, number one, the guys in that scene are so good at acting. So ugly. I mean, yeah, they're... (laughs) I didn't want to say that, but they really sell it. They're just like they the, look like King of the Hill characters. They well, they look worse than that, <laughs> and they they look inbred. Like to be quite <laughs> honest, um, and I love the scene where they're giving them lunch. And this they, is eggs. They literally give them a, they give them boiled eggs. They give them sandwiches crawling with flies, and they have this huge jar filled with pure <laughs> egg yolk. And Napoleon takes a sip, and he's like, "Oh." <laughs> and then the old guy just starts chugging it and you're like oh <laughs> that was like that was probably like the biggest gross out movie moment in the movie when this dude starts ch- chugging pre-cooked scrambled eggs this shit is hard to watch yeah oh, and then there's a, that one funny scene with the old guy too where he's trying to shoot this cow in the head <laughs> And, the, and then all the kids, uh, this busload full of kids passes by, and then it just cuts to them screaming. But one thing that I noticed upon the rewatch is if you look outside the window of the bus when the kids are screaming, is it still? They are moving in that shot. Who, who's moving? They are moving. The bus full of kids. Oh, I see. Like when they're screaming? Yeah. Oh, like when it pans out, you mean? No, so it the shot is just the guy and the cow, and yeah. then he puts the gun up to the cow, and then the bus comes and covers that, and then you hear a gunshot, and then it cuts to inside of the bus with the kids, mm-hmm. and they're screaming, but if you look outside of the windows of the bus, the bus isn't moving. I see. So, I yeah, that's just a little tidbit. A little continuity here. Yeah. Hey, that's what a cop is for, keeping these filmmakers honest. By the I, way... I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say this one thing. No, sorry, ever... go ahead. <laughs> I'm about to disconnect. Let me finish. You hear yeah, me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, are, you, are you done? Huh? Okay. You remember in older movies, they, would used, they used to have credits sometimes, and the guy would just do continuity. Have no. you ever noticed that? You never noticed that? Oh, yeah, like a continuity artist, yeah. Yeah, they'll just have like a guy credited for continuity. I feel like they need that more now. I don't they think do. They, I don't think they credit that. I guess like that's what the job of like a script supervisor or something like that, but I like that they used to have one guy to do the continuity and if he fucks it up then you know, you know who to point to. Mm-hmm. Um what else what else is there to talk about in this movie? This is, once again, this is one of Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something to say or Yeah, is that chill? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, but I was just gonna say, uh one of the first scenes that we've seen Napoleon to, which is just so funny, is when he gets on this bus and it's just like obviously the 
fucking preschoolers. <laughs> Not the preschoolers, but like grade, I don't know, like four or five school. kids. Yeah, elementary school kids. And he just gets on the bus and he just has this action figure that's just covered in string. And then he just tosses the action figure outside of the window and drags it along the road. And it's just like, it's just so stupid. Like, what the hell is the point of this? I seriously, when I was done watching the film, I was I was like thinking of any loose ends that weren't wrapped up, and I thought to myself, why in the hell would anybody do that? I guess it's like <laughs> cool because it's like the action figures getting dragged behind, but that is also a great intro scene. That bus scene, yeah. Especially since the first line is like the kid next to him is like, "What are you gonna do today, Napoleon?" He's like, "Whatever I want to do." Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we didn't really talk too much about Napoleon himself. Um, he's a dweeb. He he has delusions of grandeur, you know. He thinks he's better at some things than he is. Um, he's kind of a dick, honestly. I really like Napoleon, but like he, <laughs> one thing that's uh, I guess different from like the traditional movie nerd is like he kind of fights back because he'll just call anybody an idiot or like yeah, like idiot. Oh, I love his inter. I love his fights with fucking Uncle Rico, because towards the end, so towards in the film, Uncle Rico is a bum, right? So he he sells Tupperware like any other bum, um, and he gets Kip in there, and then at one there, oh, he ruins his life, quote unquote, in two ways. At one point, later on, he tells. Um, oh no, no, okay, here's what happens. So one day, one time. Rico is like driving down the street, and then Napoleon throws like a fucking grapefruit at his car. And like, <laughs> and he starts, I can't see him. That's so fucking funny. He puts him in a headlock. Um, and it's be, and it's because Rico is like he moves on from Tupperware, and it's implied that the guy that was that sold him the Tupperware scammed him. Because when him and mm-hmm. Kip are talking at the diner, Kip is like, "You ever gonna get that money from that guy in Florida?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm working on it." He's like, but I got a new product. And the new product is just breast enhancement juice. It's like herbal yeah. juice or something he drinks. Um, so Napoleon throws that grapefruit at his car because <laughs> when he gets to school, his locker is covered in it. And then later on, Rico is getting glamour shots from Deb. And he says that Napoleon says that he she needs breast enhancement. So then Deb calls Napoleon and says, I don't want to be your friend anymore. And then Napoleon leaves, and then Napoleon sees Rico on the front yard doing his stupid football thing where he just records himself throwing footballs. And he's like, uh, Grandma calls. She says you need to leave right now. And he's like, <laughs> he's like I didn't get any call. And she's, he's like, well, she doesn't want you here when you get back, when she gets back, so just leave now. <laughs> I, I love when Napoleon gets pissed in this movie because he does a really good job of selling it, and it's just always super fucking funny. Um, one of their earlier fights he's just like i wish you'd get out of my life and shut up <laughs> or even like when they're in the supermarket um um napoleon brings him like a 24 pack of, of colored markers and rico says i said the 12 pack not the 24 pack <laughs> and then <laughs> holy shit and then napoleon is like okay oh, god shut up god why don't you say it a little bit louder man uh, <laughs> it's just there's so many great like little moments character interaction i guess is a big thing in this film yeah because um, characters bounce off each other so well because the characters are like kind of these archetypes you know there's the dorkies and then there's uncle rico who's just kind of like a meathead 
you know, Lafonda. There's there's a nice variety of characters, and all their interactions are satisfactory, and they're not predictable. You know, and they play out in ways that you might not necessarily expect, and always, almost always, the humorous results. One thing that, sorry, I just want to tie up that I totally forgot to mention. Um, we were talking about the intro earlier and how it's all about food. Do you notice that food is like this is like this big thing in the movie? Characters are always eating, talking about steaks, quesadillas, anything. Quesadillas, like Napoleon puts tater tots in his pocket. Um, Kip, Uncle Rico, there's kind of a joke where he's just eating steak all the time because he's eating all the steak at their house, mm-hmm. I guess. And I guess because he just wants to eat protein to, to bulk up. I mean, he's in pretty good shape. I won't lie. You know, he's looking pretty. He's looking pretty solid, rock hard, thick. But um, the food thing is a weird thing in the film. But I kind of like that. One thing I like about film, or one quality I like in film, is when, and this is something done especially well in like Tarantino stuff, is it just kind of like that sensory quality of food, you know? That, mm-hmm. that, that sip of the shake, that crunch of the cheeseburger. Mm. Maybe it's because I'm a fat ass, but just when you have food on display and even if it doesn't really serve any symbolic or thematic or narrative purpose, there's just a quality I like when you just kind of showcase food like that. I love that in Tarantino. Of course, like Pulp Fiction is an easy example where it's like he's fetishizing like McDonald's, which is hilarious. Um, but yeah, no, that's just one thing that I appreciate about this film. It's just a, it's kind of like a, an element of the film that isn't explained and doesn't really make sense, quote unquote, but it, uh, it works for me. Well, I mean, people gotta eat. People gotta eat. In real life, people eat usually three times a day. Yep. So, you know what? It's show people eating. Hey, (laughs) that's realistic filmmaking. Kudos to the filmmakers. Tip of the hat to you. One thing, uh, just another quick thing. Do you notice the dry nature of this film? It's very similar, I found, to another film that came out not that long after that is a Nickelodeon film that had Jack Black in it. Do you know which one I'm thinking of? I don't know. Have you ever seen the film Nacho Libre? Oh, it is so similar. That's because it's the same director. Is it? Yes. And it has that same same look, that same like dry rural look to it. it has and that... they also have that dweeby sidekick in Nacho Libre, that little skinny dickhead. And he's also Mexican. I mean, everybody yep. is like Mexican in that movie. But yeah. Oh my god. I gotta rewatch Nacho Libre. That was a movie that I really liked when I was a kid. Me um, too. I know that one is not nearly as well received as this. Uh, as Napoleon Dynamite, that is, but Nacho Libre. That's a that's a good film. Yeah, he was like raised by nuns or some shit, and then he just went to. And that movie also fetishizes food because the whole plot of that movie is, uh, I totally forgot. Ignacion, I think his name is. He's he trying to wrestle because the food that they serve at the nunnery slash monastery slash whatever. It's like terrible. They just serve gruel to the kids. Yeah. And then he raises money, and then they're eating like quesadillas and <laughs> and tortillas and you know fajitas and stuff like that. You know they're eating good shit after. You know they're not eating. They're eating that good shit. They're not eating like spices or something. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're they're eating they're eating banger lunches. 
like yeah. watermelon juice and microwave chicken nuggets. <laughs> Your dad's actually spices. Shit it's embarrassing. Smells. Shit stinks. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Nacho Libre is also from this director. I looked up his filmography after that. This and Nacho Libre are like were like the only films I really recognize, which is a shame because I kind of want like I feel like a nice. I feel like he needs to come out with a third movie to complete the awkward film the awkward movie that involves uh, at least one mexican <laughs> food and really dorky characters in it that, that's what it's about and they're both underdog stories i suppose i think he's doing avatar 2 coming out in 2013 uh avatar 2 yeah um do you mean avatar the last airbender 2 or do you mean james cameron's avatar 2 James Cameron's Avatars 2. Oh, I see. So he, that's coming out in 2013. Yeah. Okay, that's pretty chill. I'll I'll definitely be on the lookout for that. It'll be a good one. Can't, can't wait for that movie. Yeah, it'll be good. That'll be uh, such a good time. Actually, I'm, I imagine that uh, COVID is delaying all these Avatar sequels even more. Let me take a look. Maybe that's why it's taken so long. Well, it's actually taken so it took a long time before COVID existed. So Well, maybe maybe they saw that coming. Let me take a look. Yeah. I mean James Cameron, he's a genius, right? I mean, you know, he's a yeah. genius filmmaker. What you know what? Just a quick just a quick thing. What is your take on um what how do you feel about James Cameron and his films? I don't know. What just let me look up what he's done. Probably most of them are bangers. Yeah, well, you know what? Here's here's what I'll say about James Cameron. His early filmography, like eighties to nineties, like bangers. didn't he do Terminator? He did Terminator. Terminator one, Terminator two, Aliens, banger, banger, banger. Avatar two, that'll be great. Titanic, good. Avatar, good. Well, not really, honestly. And um, no, Avatar's. I really don't think that's a good that good of a movie. Um, Avatar I, three coming out twenty twenty four. Avatar four coming out twenty twenty five. Um, Terminator Three: Rise of the Machines. He did Terminator Genesis. No, he didn't. No, he he was probably a producer or something on that one. Yeah. As a director, he did his first movie was Piranha Two. Um, I've never even seen the first Piranha film or Piranha Three D. Although I am seeing here, unfortunately, that it says cult following in the Wikipedia, which means that by the laws of cult cinema, we are required to review this. He did Star Wars 1977? Holy shit. No, he did <laughs> This movie, this guy only puts out good movies. He, you know, the thing was that he went to sleep after Titanic. Because he did Titanic. That made so much money, he didn't need to make any more movies. He did, like, two, like, documentaries about, you know, water. Because that's his thing. Like, the ocean. Yeah, he does, like, diving and shit. And then he did Avatar, and that was like, okay. And then he hasn't made a movie in 11 years. Okay, now, what act, What the hell does James Cameron have to do with Star Wars, actually? He was... He was, um... He was in it, wasn't he? As, like, a voice or something? What? Let me... Let me let me look it up. He was... Where did you read that he's in Star Wars? I, I went to Google, looked up James Cameron, went to his films section... How oh, Star Wars created James Cameron? What? See, you know, it never. When you search something on Google and Google like gives you its own results, don't trust that. Okay, I looked up Avatar sequels and it and it gave me Avatar three. Like that was an answer to a question. It makes it doesn't make sense. 
key. What? Okay. James Cameron slams Star Wars. James James Cameron used to be a Star Wars fan before Force Awakens, whatever. James Cameron uh, doesn't like Force Awakens. Damn. Wow, what a hot take. I, I you know, I guess that's a relatively hot take among non Star Wars fanatics. I would say that is a hot take. You know what movie I was watching today and I just thought like wow this movie just sucks wiener. Uh, which one? Uh, Captain America: Civil War. Uh, honestly, not a great film. Um, that is, it's. I like Captain America, and I tolerate the Marvel movies. I guess more than well, not the average person, but the average person who watches movies other than Marvel movies. Um, but you know, I, I that is that's like an okay one. It's just whatever. Civil War? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in like... It makes no sense. What doesn't make sense? Tell me right now. You want some plot holes? Actually, there are... I know there are plot holes in that. Like, Baron Zemo's plan doesn't make sense. (laughs) Shit doesn't make... That doesn't make sense. Um, Why is there a camera on this road (laughs) where... The Winter Soldier... (laughs) Don't worry about that, bro. Don't worry about that, bro. Why does... Like, why does Tony Stark lose all rationale? And he's just like, oh, yeah. I, I get that he was a sleeper agent, but I'm pissed. Why didn't Steve tell that to Tony in, like, a quiet setting? <laughs> also, how did... Uh, here's another thing. How did Tony not know that when in the first Avengers movie, he puts, like, a USB in their computers and he's like, yeah, I have all your files now. So how did he not know that? Look, uh, look. The d- movie doesn't make sense. You're there to see Captain America throw the shield, see it bounce off a guy's head, kill another guy. You know, he, Black Panther comes in, Spider Man comes in. It's it's just a fun. It's a good time. The airport scene kind of sucks. It's not a good fight. It's not a good fight at all. It doesn't look good, and they're not really fighting. They're like play fighting. They're sparring. In yeah. that sequence, because they don't actually want to hurt each other. Yeah. They should have waited until, like, 40 years from now, when the Marvel Universe, they're putting out, like, 20 movies a year, like, everybody, every well-known actors in the universe. Then you have the Civil War, where they all punch each other. And then even if it's not a satisfactory movie, you know, people will be watching it on YouTube. But, you know, of all the scenes that I look up on YouTube when I'm bored... For like specific movie scenes, I'm not looking up the airport fight. I have to say. So yeah, it's not a great movie. I guess you're right. We should uh, get back to Notch. Uh, I was gonna say Nacho Libre. Nacho well, this Di- is usually the sign where you know the episodes come to a close. So, well, we have to give bags before we close. Well, out. let's do it. This one is so tough for me. And it well, it's not like that tough. The, the the thing that's tough is that I don't have any problems with this movie, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I thought the movie was hilarious. Um, it was satisfactory. The acting's great. It's great script. It just does everything needs to. I don't know if I want to give it five bags though. Like that's a little heavy. That's See? where I'm at. And the five bags to me, well, not the five, but the the ten. Um, 
is it just has to have that X factor. Right? Yeah, it, it needs to have that exceptional quality. I agree. I'm going to give it a four bags. This is a yeah. four-bag four movie. I, didn't, I guess we, I didn't even say any problems. Do you have any problems with this movie, like, at all? Is there anything you don't like? Mm, yeah, some scenes, like, aren't that funny. Yeah. Like, some scenes were funny to me as a kid because it's just like, oh, it's a, like, um, where they're doing their hand. Oh, it has a specific name, like, where they're doing hand dancing. That, that scene is kind of weird. Tibet Midler. Yeah, it's not like that funny. That's just an example. Um, And there could have been like some bit of a more driving plot, I guess. It it it, like structurally, it's it's just kind of weird that the dance, the prom is like in the middle, and then Pedro being elected. And then this is kind of done. I don't know. Uh, that was a little weird. So I'll say eight out of ten. I have two small problems. Number one, the post credit scene. I like it's a good scene, but when the movie ended at that Tyler Ball scene, I was like, "Wow, great movie!" And then that scene, and then the post credit scene comes, and it's kind of long, and it's also not that funny. Maybe they could have done without that. It was kind of unnecessary. Um, yeah. The other thing is, um, Uncle Rico's reunion with his girlfriend is unearned yep. because. She just shows this lady shows so Uncle Rico leaves. Uh, what happens is that he goes to sell Rex is who was the the martial arts instructor, his wife, who's huge. It's how it's comical. Yeah. She, she like she could probably take me and all of my friends at once. <laughs> okay. And he's doing it he's he's showing her like the breast enhancement product and then he puts two pans on her chest. And then Rex walks in, and then classic scene, he kicks his ass. Yeah. And then later, Rico is just, you know, uh, he's, he's back in the middle of a fucking random field. And he's throwing footballs with his broken arm. And then this, like, Asian lady walks up, or bikes up, and he just starts smiling, and they walk to each other, and then they embrace. And I was watching this scene, and I was like, who the fuck is that? <laughs> and then it took me two seconds, and I was like, oh, I guess that's his girlfriend. What what was up with that? He, he didn't. Number one, he didn't earn that. Number two, this lady. You, you, I don't know. That was that was a weird. That was like the one little wrap up moment that didn't work. And I I don't even mind Uncle Rico. I wanted him to have some redemption. You know, it's kind of depressing. You know, when he's talking about the golden years. You know, that's 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 why you try to avoid in life is that kind of reg- deep seated regret. If he put me in in the fourth quarter, I would have won state. No doubt in my mind. He would have gone. Would have been a championship. Would have been having a hot tub with the, my soulmate. And uh, yeah, he would have been making millions of dollars. But uh, sorry, Rico, you're. Yeah, you know what? There's so many guys that say that I could have gone pro. You know, there's only like 800 players in the league, guys. Okay. You're not going pro. It's like there's there's just, you know even if you are good there's just there's it's too remote. Hey, don't bet on going pro. Yeah. I'm going to say that to all the cop kids out there. Please have backup. Pursue your dreams, but be realistic. Especially with... The guys who don't go pro just become cops. The guys... Yeah, and you don't want to be a cop. Okay, I'll say that. Yeah, true. Um, there was one... Oh, yeah, there's one last thing I want to talk about before we, we stop talking about this movie. Um, the anachronisms in the film. It's kind of weird. The movie 
is set in 2004. And we know this because in the title card, Napoleon takes out his student ID and it says it's for the 2004 to 2005 school year. However, yep. that was done retroactively and asked by the studio to put that in. And the reason is because the movie has a lot of weird anachronisms. At the dance, they're playing 80s tunes. Deb has that 80s side ponytail that they only do in the 80s. <laughs> um, they, get yep. a, they have a Walkman. They have a VHS player. Um, Napoleon is wearing like moon boots during his dance scene. Yeah, he's even he's wearing them throughout the whole movie. Throughout the whole movie, and even like their wardrobe is kind of like eighties esque. Like they have like the vote for Pedro, that kind of ringer shirt. That's such eighties style. Um, apparently her puffy sleeves at the dance. Her puffy sleeves. Supposedly, and I looked into this. Jared has said that in small town you know, fly over state America in late 2000s, everything's behind a little, right? Like, they're not going to have, mm. have like an Xbox or whatever, I guess. They're just going to have the older stuff. Um, but they asked them to put that little thing in. I like the anachronistic feel of the film. I like the idea that the film could be, like, at any time. I mean, they have internet in it, so, you know. But I like that it has, like, 80s and 90s sort of cultural influence. I think it's supposed to be because this is based off Jared Hess, who was the director's childhood to a degree. So I guess it harkens back to that. Next week, we were going to do Clockwork Orange, and then he picked another movie. What was it? Oh, yeah. I'm actually kind of excited for this one because I haven't seen this movie in uh, at least like five-ish years. I haven't seen this movie since it was popular. Um, it's the B-movie. Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. Now, this is gonna. I'm gonna tell you guys right now. The bags are gonna be low on this one. Okay. <laughs> Not that good of a movie. You know. All you memers, you know. You know, all you memers get fucked. That's what I'm gonna <laughs> say. You get fucked. I don't care about. I, I don't like jazz. You know, it's just not funny. You can say this is because I don't like Jerry Seinfeld. And actually, I hate Jerry Seinfeld. Don't think he's funny. <laughs> he's I mean, so bad. Seinfeld, the show, is like, that's pretty, that's decent. It's like a decent sitcom. His stand-up is terrible. Comedians getting car and coffee is, I hate looking at the thumbnail on Netflix. <laughs> I hate the way Jerry Seinfeld talks. I hate the way he looks. I just hate him. This is not going to be a lot of bags for this movie movie coming up okay that's all i'm gonna say so get ready week after that what are we doing uh i don't know i pick b movie so you pick something yeah we'll do dark star uh is that one good or bad i don't know b movie was chosen in part because lucas was semi-upset that we're reviewing too many good quote-unquote movies yeah, like, we're going to review Clockwork Orange. Oh, what am I going to say that's new, that hasn't been said a million times? Oh, the movie's good, guys. What a fun listen. Who cares? Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, we got we to gotta do some stinkers. So B-movies coming up. Is Dark Star? I don't, I don't know too much about that one. I don't know. Well, let, me, let me look at this movie for a sec before I, I accept this. The science, science... No, there's no... You're accepting it, I'm telling you. Science fiction comedy... Oh, classic status. Um, oh, it's it's uh, the first movie that John Carpenter directed. Yeah. I like this poster already. The Spaced Out Odyssey. Looks like a little... It's kind of funny. 
it could be a cool movie. We'll uh, check it out. Um, this is um, I'm gonna make this pick. I mean, we're gonna do this for sure next month. But okay, so if next week we do B movie, and then the week after that we do Dark Star. After that, at any point, we can do. I mean, we'll have five weeks or no four weeks in December where we can do Black Christmas, and I really want to do yeah. that one. Yeah, we'll do some good Christmas picks. Um, I mean, the, our last episode before Christmas is December 21st, so we can do it then, I guess. I don't know what other Christmas cult movies, if there are any that you want to review. Maybe. Uh, I would like to do, like, a TV special episode, maybe. Um, I would... There are some other ones that we'll go into closer to. Do you think, uh, you think Elf counts as a cult classic? Yep, we're doing it. Uh, okay, we'll do Elf. Well, you know what? That's already three episodes we booked then for December. Yeah. So that means that after Dark Star, we have one. We have one free pick. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave. I'm gonna leave that one to you. Okay. We'll see. Oh, okay. All right. All right. We're ending the show here. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for joining Matthew. Uh, Matt, thanks for joining me. And uh. I joined you, so thank me. Uh, yeah, we'll see you guys next week and the week after that. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there. Oh, the show's been going. For, oh, well, it has. How long has the show been going on? I, I don't know. Bye bye. <laughs>